We are kicking off a new teaching series called Grit. I'm so excited about this. I think if there's one thing that we need to follow Jesus in 2022 more than anything else, it has to be it has to be grit. I mean, globally, nationally, we've been through a pandemic and the polarization of politics and tension and division and war and gas prices. And then maybe for you on an individual level, divorce or depression or a diagnosis or the desperation of unemployment or the fatigue of chronic pain, the sting of loss or the, the disappointment of unmet expectations or failed dreams. And bottom line is the need for grit is nothing new. The 21st century is challenging, but guess what else was? The first century and the second and every century since then, which is why Jesus said, and he called it, he said, in this world, you're gonna have trouble. Not a period, but a comma. He says, so take heart. And the message behind this series is that it takes grit to take heart. It takes grit to take heart. It doesn't just come natural, I think, for anybody. I don't think anybody, by the way, had more grit than the Apostle Paul. This guy, I get a kick out of this guy, man. He, through any and every season, from setbacks and shipwrecks and snake bites and floggings and mockings and beatings and, and prison sentences, all the way from his conversion to his untimely and brutal death, Paul, the, the anthem of his life was just grit. It really was. In fact, he kind of sums that up in Philippians 3.14. He says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward, just listen to the grittiness of these verbs, straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Grit. Our working definition for this series for grit is this, a God-given ability to step out and press on in difficult situations. Dr. Angela Duckworth, she's a PhD psychologist, New York Times bestselling author, known as the guru of grit, because, because her and her team for years have studied and tried to answer this question, what makes people successful and why? Across all kinds of different contexts to what cadets make it through basic training at West Point and, and, and who doesn't, to why some kids advance farther in the national spelling bee, why some teachers generate more impact and last longer in challenging school districts, to why some salespeople are more successful and make more money at private companies. And across all of those contexts and more, there was one characteristic, one trait that stood out head and shoulders above all the others. And it was not talent, it was not good looks, it was not intelligence, it was not even the hand that life dealt it was grit, grit, that place where dreams meet determination and your passion meets perseverance. Grit, the God-given, God-given ability to step out and then stick it out, not just for a day or a week or a month, but as a way of life. That's where we're going. And we're gonna call the first message of this series, Bring On The Waves. Bring on the waves. Been praying that you might leave here today a little uncomfortable and so grateful that you are. That's my prayer. So Jesus, we love you. Disrupt us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you guys, anybody in here afraid of heights? Can you be brave and admit it to, oh, thank you so much. Oh, deathly afraid of heights, anybody? Okay, like you'd rather, you would rather swim with great whites than climb a stepladder and check your smoke detector maybe? Um, I apologize to all of you for the, the graphic story I'm about to tell you involving heights, okay? This is a true story, I give you my word. 
The year is 2009, and I am in New Zealand in line to go bungee jumping. Now, really quick, don't be fooled. That just made me sound a lot cooler than I really am. And also, this is back in college before the, the part of your brain that tells you not to do dangerous and stupid things fully develops. And in males, I'm not sure if it ever fully kicks in. I'll keep you posted on that. But I'm in line, and I witness the two most contrasting experiences a human being can have going bungee jumping. The first one was a 30-year-old guy, we'll call him Kevin. I never met Kev, but I know for a fact Kev is par- like terrified of heights, okay? Just ter- like he would rather get 10 hours of dental work than stand on his tippy toes for 10 seconds. And so naturally his friends, they challenge him and dare him to overcome and conquer his fear by going bungee jumping. I'm like, that's a little, maybe we try like an escalator first. Like this is a little zero to 60 here. But okay, um, I kind of, I I admire it a little bit. So Kevin um, buys a ticket to go bungee jumping and now he finds himself, this is the part I apologize for, standing on a rickety wobbly bridge, spanning across a rocky gorge with a giant rubber band Velcroed around his ankles, staring down at a raging river 300 feet below, okay? That's where Kev is at right now. And just so you know, once you're on the platform across the red line, the the bungee employees are not allowed to touch you or assist you. That's going to be a very key detail in about 60 seconds, okay? Because Kevin, fast forward 15 minutes, is still standing there. Still standing there, just hands shaking, palms sweaty, knees weak, arms are... That's not a... that, That joke is so tired, okay? But thank you for the pity laugh. And he's paralyzed because he's looking down, rookie mistake, you know? He can't do it until the crowd starts counting down. Now, I'm not sure what it is about guys in countdowns, <laughs> but as soon as the crowd starts counting down, you, like, you no longer have a say in the matter. You kind of have to do it. I feel like God just innately wired something intrinsically into males that if a countdown occurs you involuntarily have to submit to this non-existent authority of a a group of strangers countdown, right? And Kev understands this, and they get to five, four, three, two, one, and he takes one just crazy bravery and takes one small step, one giant leap for all Kevin kind, and he steps off the platform but immediately regrets it, immediately tries to undo it. And so he turns around, not kidding, and grabs the platform on his way down successfully. So now he's hanging there and and the bungee jump employees are not allowed to do anything, which to me is just the detail that brings me the most joy. I love that. His friends are laughing hysterically. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future, Kev. This is it, buddy. Are you happy? And he hangs on for about a minute until his fingers fail him and he bungee jumps. (laughs) And I guess you can go home and tell your friends you went bungee jumping as long as you leave out every single detail for how it happened. I just picture him hanging there because you know he's thinking, if I let go, I I am dead. I am going to die. 300 feet above a croc infested, I don't know there were crocs, but you don't know there weren't, okay? It's New Zealand, they're probably where it makes the story better. So he's hanging there, guys, 300 feet above a raging croc-infested river until his fingers fail and he bungee jumps and falls feet first. By the way, the 
The cord is tied to your feet, so that's like a little fun whiplash at the bottom too. Pro tip, don't do that. Just dive, it's way better. Not that I'm a pro. Um, But the one who went right after that, this 12-year-old girl named Kaylin, that was her real name. She really was 12 because I talked to her. She steps up to the platform and she's also nervous. I could see her hand shaking and looks over at her mom and waves and takes a deep breath and she just, she just dives. Head first, the most graceful jump we saw all day. And my first thought was, dang it. <laughs> Cause I'm next, you know? <laughs> I have to do it, I gotta kinda be cool. And I went, I was somewhere between a Kaylin and a Kevin, kind of just middle of the road guy. But Kaylin and Kevin, the two most contrasting bungee jump experiences, and they're doing the same thing and had two just completely different experiences. Now to me, over the years, this story has become a perfect picture for how human beings step or jump into the unknown. Because we're all heading there. It's now May of 2022. None of us have ever been this far before. We're all rookies when it comes to 2022. Okay, time marches on. The future is becoming the present. We're stepping into new seasons, new chapters. Some of us just new positions, new beginnings. Some of us are excited. Some of us are disappointed. And at the same time, we are trying to navigate very, very trying and challenging times. And yet as the body of Christ and as followers of Jesus, we are not called to hunker down and play it safe. We're not called to just hang on for dear life until our fingers fail us and we, we move into it like, un, like unwilling, we are called as hard and challenging as it is to with a childlike wonder, leap into the unknown with a gritty, gritty faith. And I'm telling you, you might, you might not feel like you've got a lot of grit in you, but the message of this series is that, that it is in you because God has put it there. You've got more grit than you think. It's just kind of like a muscle. It might be time to exercise it, but I'm telling you, there is a, there is a gritty and determined and passionate person of faith, giant of faith that you already are in Christ Jesus. And now it's time to live it like you actually believe it. That's what this series is all about, that it takes grit to take heart and it's in you. And it might be the number one quality that is needed right now. And so we're gonna go to Matthew chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, go straight there. And I wanna show you this in a story that you probably, I think everybody has probably heard because Peter follows Jesus into the unknown. And Peter goes for a walk on the waves in a storm with his savior at 3 a.m. And I think he's gonna show us a little bit of what grit is and where to find more of it. So this is Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. Here we go. Immediately after this, this referring to Jesus feeding 5,000 people, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell when he was there alone. And meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. At about three in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on water. Obviously, because it's just easier to do that than go around the lake. 
When the disciples saw him walking on water, they were terrified, and in their fear they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, don't be afraid, he said, take courage, for I am here. And then Peter called to him, of course he did. He said, Lord, if that's really you, then tell me to come to you walking on water. And what I love more than that request is Jesus' answer, sure. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, come on. Come on, Peter, get out of the boat. I mean, you gotta be careful sometimes what you pray for. God might say yes. So Peter went over the side of the boat. He got out and walked on water toward Jesus. That's so crazy. So here we go. From that story, I think Peter's gonna give us a little passion pep talk here. And three things grit is and how to get more of it. So here we go. Number one, grit is the guts to get out of your comfort zone. I think this is gonna be helpful because some of us think following Jesus promises a stormless life. Um, Just in case you were taught that or you believe that, um, I kinda wish that was true, but it's not. Jesus is omniscient and sends his boys to cross the sea by themselves, fully knowing a storm was coming while he goes and dismisses the 5,000 people. So he doesn't promise a stormless life. What he does promise is an anchor in every storm. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus, when Jesus feeds 5,000 people comfort food, they love him. But as soon as he confronts them and challenges them on their lives, they leave him. I think a lot of Christians associate Christ with comfort and we associate the devil with disruption when in reality, it might be the devil who's keeping you comfy, and it probably is Jesus who is trying to interrupt your regularly scheduled program. So I'm curious when the last time was that God disrupted your life and called an audible. I wonder when the last time the omniscient one disagreed with you on something. I feel like that should happen pretty frequently or else you might be making this God in in your image and not the other way around. When was the last time God challenged, you let him challenge that secret sin pattern that you've become okay with. And and hey, trust me, I am a creature of comfort. I like it predictable and familiar. That's why I'm about to start the office for the 12th time instead of any new TV shows that people are recommending to me. Um, Amen, yes, I tell Sam, I tell my wife, I'm like, babe, for our next date, can we just go to the yard house again so I can get the seared ahi salad again? I'm like, we got enough, we got enough craziness in our lives. I don't need restaurants for more adventure right now. Like we have so much unpredictable chaos and adventure. Can we just go to the yard house and watch The Office tonight? I need some comfort and comfort's great. I'm just saying it's overrated because nobody grows in their comfort zones. Peter's comfort zone was the boat. He was a fisherman, especially the boat with his, with his friends. And yet, he has something within him say, I know you wanna stay comfortable, but if you pay attention, I think there's something deeper down that actually wants to get out of this more than you wanna stay in it. Do it afraid, Peter, because fear is not the opposite of faith. Check this out. Familiarity is the opposite of faith. This quote by Harv Ecker, this is so good. Nobody ever died of discomfort. I love that. 
Discomfort never killed nobody. Yet living in the name of comfort has killed more ideas, more opportunities, more actions, and more growth than everything else combined. Comfort kills. You can disagree. I, I'm an observer of people, myself included, and Christians, and I feel like a, a major obsession, two major obsessions of Christians in 2022 is calling and comfort, and we want both at the same time. And we think if it's my calling, it should be easy. It should be comfortable. If I'm following Jesus and I, I'm having problems, well, there must be something wrong. Something's off. And what I would tell you is, no, I think the, the, the problem here is that you think you shouldn't have any. That that's where you grow. That's where you mature and become more complete. What, what, what's true for companies and organizations is also true for you and me. That we are either risking and making moves outside of our comfort zones and growing and maturing, or we are hunkering down and playing it safe, trying to hold on to what we have and dying a little bit more every single day. This picture is, was taken when me and my wife were, this is almost four years now, which is so crazy. July 1st, 2018, we moved from Denver to Austin to start this church, stopped at the Texas border, took that picture. I know we're smiling, but inside I am dying. <laughs> Terrified. Not just from the humidity dying, but just so uncomfortable thinking, why are we doing this? <laughs> we just had it made. We left that to do, like to, to truly go where I have no idea what the heck's about to happen. I, this probably isn't gonna work. Why are we doing this? It was crazy, you guys. I mean this with all my heart. I, I've never been more uncomfortable in my life than I have for the last four years. I've also never been this alive in my entire life. I've also never grown this much. I got saved 12 years ago, and this seems to just be a pattern not just in my life, I notice it in my friends' lives, I see it in scripture, where God just challenges you to get out of the boat in some way, shape, or form. The very first thing that he ever challenged me to do was join a small group in college. And then the following year, he challenged me to, to lead a small group. And then how about that internship? How about that mission trip? How about you try stepping out of your, your pathetic boat called control and try me on generosity? and do money and finances my way and trust me with this? And how about, how about you step out into the, and watch that I won't do exceedingly and abundantly more than you ever could if you were just calling the shots in your life. Why don't you, from that hard conversation to, to getting married, to, being, to becoming a dad, to, to moving to Austin, to starting this church, all of these things I have felt called to, none of these things I have felt ready for. I say that to hopefully encourage somebody in here. If you feel like you are, you're in a boat being challenged or called to get out, but you don't feel ready, I'm telling you that's probably the sweet spot that God wants you in. Because that means you don't stand a chance if God doesn't come through and do the heavy lifting. That keeps you in a place of desperation where you need him. And that is the recipe for experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in your Life And so is there something in your life that is stretching your faith? If there's not, that might answer the question, why do I feel apathetic and kind of half asleep when it comes to this Jesus thing? It's probably because you're, you're in the boat. What's one that you can hop out of right now? I would say your faith needs you to. Maybe that's joining a group. Next week is group launch. Be here for it. Maybe that's leading 
one of those groups. Talk to Haley in the lobby after service today. Maybe that's getting out of your boat called control and security and trying God as far as this generosity thing goes. Maybe it's that conversation. Maybe it's going to see a counselor and dealing with some stuff. And finally, you're not going around it anymore. But like Jesus, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna walk straight through that kind of sea, even though it's full of storms. Maybe it's forgiving somebody. Maybe, maybe it's confessing something. All I'm saying is God put within you the grit that you need to get out of your comfort zone so that your soul can sing, hey, bring on the waves. Bring on the waves. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy. I'm saying you'll be, you'll be glad that you did it. That's what I'm saying. And I was, I feel like I wanna give this purpose pep talk today because I think a lot of us come to church for comfort and sometimes we need it. And by the way, that's why the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. I'm just saying he does his best work when you are outside of your comfort zone. But it's almost like we, I think a lot of us almost subconsciously, not on purpose, but we almost treat church as what this is, is just for me to find comfort. Not a, not a gathering of Jesus followers to, to worship. And hear my heart, sometimes you need that, Okay. While the Holy Spirit, though, is the comforter, Jesus is the great disruptor. And I was praying so much this week for you guys, and I really felt like the big man impressed on my heart. He said, what if I don't want anybody leaving comfortable today? Like, what if he wants you to feel so disrupted that you walk out of here and, and you, you do something with it this time, right? You put into practice James 1.22 that I'm not just gonna listen to the word, listen to the podcast or the sermon or, or whatever and so deceive myself. I'm gonna do what it says. I'm, a, I'm accountable for what I know. It's time to, to step out of the boat. It's time to try Jesus at, at his word. It's time to, to walk straight through it instead of around it. What if, what if he wants you to be so uncomfortable that the pain of change is now less than the pain of staying the same. If it gets you out of the boat, man, don't be afraid to be disrupted by God. That might not be the devil. That might be Jesus in the most loving way because he is so for you and has so much more for you. Trying to just go, hey, got life to live. I'd rather you live it alive. You wanna, you wanna stay here in your comfort zone? I, he gets it, I get it. But I think if you pay attention long enough, you'll hear deep down that something in you wants to get out of the boat more. Because Jesus was not in the boat, he was out on the waves in the storm. I'm saying you were made for it and God put grit in you, amen? Okay, number two, grit is the realism to face the facts and the idealism to never lose hope. Two things that seem like they contradict, but actually uh, I want you to see realism and idealism as dance partners here. Because Peter's on the water, and then let's read Matthew 14, 30. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. And he shouted, save me, Lord. Now on surface level, we read that and we think lack of faith. Oh, Peter's sinking. He's really drowned on his luck. You know what I mean? Pick your pun. Peter, what are you doing, you know? So bad. He feels sunk right now, you know? He's just in a low place, okay. 
But to me, you guys, that entire verse, we're gonna, we're gonna if you reread it, it, it's faith is all over it because it's, the whole thing is surrender. He saw the wind, he saw the waves, he realized, this is the realism, I don't stand a chance, I can't save myself, surrender. And he reaches for a savior, for the one who can. To say yes to a savior means you have to confront and admit the reality of sin. That's a bad word in our, our world. We're, we're almost trying to pretend it's not even real. But to me, I'm like, it's the most obvious thing in the world. Because I know me. I know the world that I live in. And guys, the answer is not inside of us. If it was, it would have worked by now. It would have worked centuries ago. We need something bigger. We need someone beyond all of this who is what we're not and can do what we can't. And faith, catch this, allows you to face the fact called sin and cry out to Jesus at the same time. Realism, idealism. Grit is the realism to face the facts and the idealism to keep the faith and never lose hope. So James Stockdale, I'll explain it this way. He was a prisoner of war in Vietnam for seven years, a POW was tortured 20 times and yet survived. And when he was asked about his experience and how he survived, he said, I did two things. He said, number one, he talks about the idealism. I had unwavering faith and hope that I would prevail in the end. And I never lost that. I fanned that into flame every day. And I confronted the brutal facts of my present reality. This might be a long time. I might get tortured today. I had the grit to get real about my situation. I wasn't an ostrich with its head buried in the sand pretending there's no lion. There's no lion. Like I, I told myself the truth. And then he was asked, well, what about those who didn't make it? And Mr. Stockdale, without hesitation, said, oh, easy. That was the optimists. The ones who just repeatedly thought this Easter, this fall, this Christmas, this Easter, okay, this fall, they were so continually devastated and let down that it eventually ended them. So my point is faith is so much more than just optimism. Faith is not afraid of reality. It's not afraid of the truth. God is not surprised by your situation. In fact, I would say faith actually allows you to face it. Maybe until you face it, faith can't fix it. Oh, it's not, it's not an addiction. I just, it's, just, it's just a bad habit. It's not a, a toxic relationship. He's got potential. I can, I can just, I'll swipe my card again, buy this, buy that. I'll just not look at my balance for the next few weeks. And if I kept going, I'd, I'd get all of us, myself included, because, guys, this is the great unifier. All of us kind of in the same boat, in some way, shape, or form, professional pretenders, okay? That's why I'm like, hey, let's, let's just keep pretending that um, our Starbucks lattes are coffee and not milkshakes. <laughs> I love coffee. No, you love ice cream. That kind of tastes like coffee. Let's just call it what it is. The reason grit is the number one indicator of success is because it's realistic and idealistic. When you can have idealism and unwavering hope about tomorrow and breakthrough, and yet today I can also be completely real and not lie to myself and tell myself the truth about reality and the facts and where I'm at, man, that is 
That is such a, such a sweet spot when you go, man, this, this is a problem. This is an addiction. Um, I am hiding. I think I do have church baggage that, you know, I think it's past its expiration date and there, there is healing and freedom for me. I just, I, I, need, I do need to forgive. I am harboring a lot of bitterness. I do have a lot of anger. I, you know, whatever it is, that's not weakness saying that. That is the definition of strength is what I'm telling you. Because in John 8, 32, Jesus says what? You will know the truth and the truth will set you Free, in other words, God's not interested in blessing who you pretend to be. He's interested in blessing who you really are. Do you remember the, uh, the office sequence where Michael Scott quits Dunder Mifflin and Pam goes with him to start their own paper company? And if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can just go watch season five, episodes 20 through 25, not that I'm counting. But the very first day, they have a reality check and they sell nothing and they just royally fail. And Pam starts hyperventilating and panicking in the back row of the car and goes, what did I just do? We have no money, we have no office, this is stupid. Michael, your own grandma doesn't even believe in you. Why, why was I so dumb that I left with you? What are we, and Michael, in one of his rare endearing moments, actually has a, a pretty confronting father moment with Pam where he says, hey kiddo, calls her kiddo. He says, you quit your job. You quit, I quit, we both quit our jobs. That's the facts. We got one option, and by the way, I do my best work when nobody believes in me. And he doesn't give her any good news, yet it calms her, like grounds her, because she's like, somebody is telling me the truth. This is our starting point, and now we can, we can do something with this, I have the, the realism to go, you know what? Okay, I think this is an addiction. Okay, I do, this is, I do have that, unfor, that unforgiveness. Do you have that? I mean, that is grit, you guys, to say, I'm okay. Like, this is where I am right now. In a world where we all feel pressure to be more than we are and have it together and make people think that because we're all, for some reason, just afraid of being flawed and imperfect, I think that's why people are so drawn to this church is because it's gritty and vulnerable and authentic and not afraid to be all collectively imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. Like, we can be, we can be in the same boat. We can all have our struggles. It's okay to, to not be okay. If you have the grit, that means you have the realism to face the facts. I don't have to keep lying to myself about where I am. I can tell myself the truth. I think you'll be shocked at how grounding that is. Even if it's like bad news, somewhere deep down, you've always known it anyways, and now I'm just, I'm just kind of saying it. I have that realism. I also have the idealism as a dance partner to know there's hope Jesus is on his throne he will get me where he's trying to get me. And I will not be shaken, amen? Okay, last point. Grit is the tenacity to get up again. Grit is the tenacity to get up again. Matthew 14, 32 through 33. When they climbed back in the boat, the wind stopped, and then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. The reason that verse is so crazy to me, so this is after Peter starts sinking, Jesus lifts him up, and they get back into the boat. 
And I learned this concept from a pastor named Judah Smith where he says sometimes it's fun to read the Bible and then anticipate what you think it's going to say and then read what it actually says. Now I read this story about Peter and what I would anticipate happening is they get back into the boat and all the guys kind of huddle around Peter who is soaking wet and they kind of encourage him and go, yo, Peter, man, probably shouldn't have done that though. (laughs) Thank God Jesus was there. And you read it and go, man, somebody, is, is he just like shivering, hypothermia? Bartholomew, give him your jacket. Maybe you could get mentioned in the Bible if you just do one thing, man. <laughs> give him your coat. But that is, that's not what happens. They get back into the boat. Peter is soaked. And all the attention and affection goes straight to Jesus. And they start worshiping the one who met them in the middle of the storm and calmed it. Now, the reason that's powerful is, is because we, we read that. I used to read that and go, failure, Peter failed. Now, you could. I mean, you could say it was success. You could say, well, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. And Peter finished drowning. So that's a failure. Um, but I want to rewrite the narrative about failure because I think we have this unhealthy fear of it. Uh, so much so that we read that and go, whoa, I'm so glad I, w- um, I wasn't that guy. I mean, you got 11 guys in the boat who kind of look calm, cool, and collected like they got it together. And then you got one guy drowning. However, geographically speaking, the one guy is closer, has more proximity with the presence of God than the 11 dry guys. And he hops back into the boat and he worships wet. Quick, just, I don't know, encouragement for somebody in here. You feel like you failed yesterday. You're soaking wet. Part of being a Christian is learning how to worship wet. Worship just drenched this morning because he is what you don't have to be. But I don't think this is, I mean, okay, let's call it failure. I think you will either fail your way to success or you will just not try your way to failure. Thomas Edison, I didn't fail. I discovered 10,000 ways to not make a light bulb. Finally made it and changed the world. My daughter Kinsley, she's 18 months old about Six, seven months ago, she learned to walk. And you know, when babies learn to walk, they, tiny little bodies and big heads. So they let go of the coffee table, take a step, and then gravity takes over. And it's either step again or die. And so what you have is step, 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 fall. Step, step, fall. And on the fall, Here's what does not happen in the living room. All the family gathered around, step, step, fall. Nobody goes, are you kidding me? This baby can't even walk. Walking, I can walk backwards. It's so easy for me. Weckonmans are walkers, babe. This is your genetics, not mine. Want our money back. This is a joke. Like, no, step, step, fall. And the room loses it. Everybody goes nuts because of the two or three steps, not the fall. So I look at Peter and step, 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 fall. And I I promise you, the, the great cloud of witnesses, the Trinity, they're not up there watching this with this look on their face like, oh, Peter, you had it and then you lost it because you lost faith. I think this is the face of the great cloud of witnesses. Everybody going, oh, homeboy just walked on water. A human who's not God just did that. Nobody's talking about the sinking part. They're like, how many steps did that guy just take? I think Pete got back into the boat and was like, did you just see that? 
I just did that. I was praying for you guys this week. I felt like God wanted me to say, there's somebody maybe in this room where you, you've been battling an addiction and maybe you went to rehab and got clean and then you were out for a little bit and then you, 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 uh, you, you fell again and you relapsed again and you want freedom just so bad and you feel like God's looking at you like, are you kidding me? You had it. You should be farther along than this. I'm serious. You're more than a conqueror. Start acting like it. I'm telling you, I think, I think that's the face of the, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit going, he made it three months. He made it three months. Okay, pick yourself back up. Fall forward. Don't stay down. Pick yourself up and let's go because you are three months closer to freedom than you've ever been before. Come on. You're gonna have failures on your way to victory, on your way to success. The point is getting out of your comfort zone, out of the boat where your feet may fail and probably will, but Jesus is there. The presence of God is there to do what you can't do and pick you up again. God's got you, which means you've got this. Whatever your this is in your life this season, God's got you, Jesus has got you, and so you've got this. And so my challenge to you, get out of some proverbial boat this week. I think it'll wake up your soul in a way where your spirit starts breathing again and going, I haven't felt this alive in probably five to 10 years. This feels so uncomfortable, but I, like this is, this is life, man. Like this is, this is the real deal. I'm actually doing it. Whether that's joining a group next week or talking to Haley in the lobby about leading a group or trying generosity or, or trying confession or, or moving there or staying here or changing, whatever, whatever it is, you know, I, I feel like, like Peter, you, you know the nudge and you wanna stay comfortable, but pay attention because something farther down deep within your soul wants to get out of the boat more than it wants to stay in the boat. The presence of God is there, is there. Just saying, come, let's go for a walk on the waves. Is it storming on your life? How about we walk on waves in the middle of it? Bring them on. Bring on the waves. Idealism, that Jesus is who he says, he's coming back, he is still on his throne. Hope wins, you guys. The end of the story, we already know it. Never lose hope. Because that faith actually gives you the ability to go, okay, now I'm gonna face the reality. I'm gonna stop lying to myself about where I'm at today. I'm gonna tell myself the truth. Watch it set you free. Because <laughs> Jesus would love to begin this journey with you. And do not be afraid to fail. Have the tenacity to get up again and get up again and get up again and get up again. You fall, fall forward. You fall again, fall forward. See the countenance of God in the, the great cloud of witnesses just cheering you on, going, yeah, in this world, you're, you'll have trouble. It's hard. Being a human being is hard. You're doing better than you think. Just don't stop. Don't stay down. Keep reaching for Jesus. He'll meet you every single time. Amen. Will you guys stand up? We are heading into the unknown with every passing second. There's two ways to go about that. And there's a crowd watching from the bridge, watching followers of Jesus right now. I don't know about you, but I wanna just harness that Kalen spirit within me and do it afraid. My hands are a little clammy, but God's got me and I will trust and I've got, I've got more grit than I know. You know how you find out how much you have? 
you jump into a place where you need it and watch God do the rest. So Jesus, we love you. And as we sing, bring on the waves, I pray that we would feel it at the deepest parts of us, how dangerous that prayer is. Yet at the same time, how there's no other way to live life. We wanna be where you are, no matter how far it takes us. In Jesus' name, amen.